Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I am Caleb Simmons, joined alongside by my brother, Joshua Simmons. How are you, Joshua? As this episode is dropping, I am on summer break, my man, so I am doing well. The school year is over, but we don't really need to talk about that tonight. What we need to talk about is our awesome guest that we're going to have on episode 42, Mr. Cameron Booth. Yeah, man, Cameron Booth. We got the opportunity to meet Cameron when we went out west to Wyoming with the River Rat USA Raft Company. They had us out there with a couple other guys with some river rats. Cameron was one of those, and we got the opportunity to fish with him for three days. And when we met him and got to know a little bit more about his story, I was like, this guy's got to be on the podcast. For sure. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little jealous of Cameron's river rat because he's got this blue Kentucky Seas man and that blue rack. But anyway, but uh, those, I like our red rack. It's Pisgah, you know, Pisgah Camp Middle School red, so I'm cool with it. But such a great fisherman he has just so much technique that he helped us with even out there while we were in wyoming yeah i learned a ton from him for the three days that we were with him and then got to have him on this podcast and have this conversation with him that you're going to hear in just a few moments getting to learn a little bit more about his story about his resilience in life and a lot of the things that he's gone through cameron's been through so much and he's still fishing and loving the water and he gets to share his adventures and fishing with people a lot like us. That's kind of why and, we do what we do. And I want to throw this out here right off the bat. Here at Dads on the Fly, we want to make sure that we want everybody to understand how much we enjoy and appreciate the people that we have gotten to meet doing this. And Cameron's one of those people. Cameron has a great story from golf to fly fishing to uh, fatherhood even that we're going to hear about in this episode. And we want to always support Cameron. We want to just pour our love and support into him and what the journey he's going through. A guy who knows how to fish, but a guy who will give you, if you ever get a chance to be on the water with him, which we did, you'll see his resilience and his positivity in life. And, um, you know, he, accredit, he even credits that to how his, his spiritual connection on the water. He said how important that is to him in the episode. So you're going to see that. But uh, before we dive into episode, before we dive into the episode, man, sorry, we want to make sure and give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Yeah, Pigeon River Outfitters, right here in Haywood County, North Carolina. Uh, Pigeon River Outfitters is located right here in Canton, right on the banks of the beautiful and clean Pigeon River. We got a great opportunity to hang out with these guys the day we did a river cleanup, and that was incredible. Charles up there did such a great job. It was awesome, but. Folks, if you're in, if you live within an hour of Canton, or if you're if you're visiting anywhere in Asheville, you deserve to travel 20 minutes, right? You you owe it to yourself to travel 20 minutes. Come over here, rent a tube, rent a raft. He's got paddle boards. He's, he's got, got tubes, canoes, kayak, canoes, inflatables, all kinds. And of things. float our river, man! It's our river right here that we float. Once a week now we're getting to where we're floating once a week. getting close. We just got off it with our kids this past Friday. We got It was incredible. We got trout right there in that section. You got a couple little little rapids you can flow through that are not dangerous but fun. It's a great time. The it's water's super time. clean. It's probably the cleanest it's ever been. And so, yeah, make sure to check them out. Pigeon River Outfitters. You can find them at pigeonriveroutfittersnc.com. Book a trip with them to go float 
and tube the beautiful Pigeon River here in Haywood County, you will have a blast. You'll have a blast and you can, you know, get you a nice refreshment and something to eat right there at Bearwaters on the way out. So that's all we can say about them. It is time to dive into our episode with our man from Salt Lake City, Utah, Cameron Booth. This is going to be an opposite episode. We're pumped about it. We just really appreciate Cameron for doing this for us. So, guys, tonight here we are with our now friend in the fly fishing industry that we had the opportunity, as we spoke about earlier in our intro, to meet out on our adventure to Wyoming, Mr. Cameron. Cameron, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm great, guys. Thanks so much for inviting me along. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so Cameron uh, has started an awesome uh, new thing in the online world on YouTube and Instagram, uh, Tail Walker Adventure Company. Uh, man, Cameron, we, we're loving what you're doing out there. Uh, loving watching your videos. Uh, really excited. Something we're going to talk about later in the episode, I think, about the traveling fly box. Can't wait to hear more about that. We want to talk more about your company, but uh, man, just so cool. Uh, everything you've got going on. And we just love hearing about uh, people in this industry, their stories, the things that got them into fishing. So tell us a little bit about the beginning of your fly fishing journey. Yeah, sure. So I'm from central Kentucky, rural Kentucky originally, and grew up fishing conventional with my grandfather, my pap. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a way that a lot of us get started. And um, he and I, I'll never forget in my life, the first time he ever took me fishing. It was to a little tributary of the Kentucky River. And uh, we stopped at our local Walmart and bought this little red goo called crappie candy. And went out there with our bobbers and caught four or five bluegill. And I was so proud of these fish that I convinced him to bring three or four of them home in a potato chip bag filled with water and to dump them in the creek behind the house after we showed them off to everybody. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, I, I developed this love for it from beginner's luck, probably. And we would go every Sunday after church. It was our routine. Uh, and eventually as I grew as a fisherman, I grew into the spin fishing and, and fishing with lures and soft plastics and that sort of thing. And then one day I went to my father's tennis partner's house and he told them, you know, I was probably five years old or something like this at this time. And he told them how much of a fisherman I was. And they showed me the pictures and the stuff that they had from a recent trip to the Bow River in Alberta. And that was it. It was over. I had to do that. Got to do that. Right. So that year for Christmas, I asked for fly outfit, right? Like that's what I got to have. Now in the part of Kentucky that I lived in, there was no fly fishing outfit in the local Walmart and there was no fishing store. There was a gas station with bait. And that's where we usually stopped and did our trade. Um, so my dad made a special trip into the big city of Lexington and we went to this I want to say it was like an Oshman's or something sporting goods where we found a Fenwick Eagle fly rod for sale, two piece. And it, you know, this was, this was my big thing right here. Right. I had to get, this was my big Christmas present. Didn't have a fly reel in there though. 
We We did happen to find like that same year, a Martin fly reel with that bright orange line on it and no oh, back. Yeah. So there was like a, an inch and a half gap between the Arbor. Cause it was a tiny Arbor, right? Like one of those little tiny ones. So there's like an inch and a half gap between the end of the fly line and the, the edge of the Arbor on the reel, no leader tied onto this thing whatsoever. And a nail knot to a five-year-old was just <laughs> be, basically impossible. So I'll never forget sitting out in my driveway and whipping this thing back and forth for hours and making that sound, you know, that crack of the whip sound that we all oh, know yeah. is a bad thing now. Yeah. At five years old, you're killing it when you're cracking. <laughs> Feel like Indiana Jones out there, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So that is my first experience when I finally got a leader tied on that thing. And I believe it was my poor mother that figured out how to tie a nail knot. I had one leader that was probably about a 50 pound butt section of three feet after the first week I had it. We went and got that little circle tin of flies from Walmart and dragged it through our local ponds for bluegill and just had a blast. Just that's how I learned to do it. And it's grown from there into this incredible career and, and really fun company. Yeah. One thing I want to make sure we catch in this episode is just how, uh, fun Cameron is to fish with. And, uh, you know, he, he does run a guide service, uh, up there in Utah, which we're going to talk about in a second, but you know, you're, you're very knowledgeable, but you make everything an adventure. Uh, and that's kind of probably why you maybe said on your name of Tailwalkers adventures because, uh, or Tailwalkers adventure company, cause it is an adventure. And, uh, you know, you, your life, man, is, is kind of an adventure in itself. And I, I know you wanted to speak about this. So you grew up there in central Kentucky, which I'm, kind of familiar with spending two years in Lexington myself and, you know, being born in Louisville and spending some time, um, in that area, but you moved to California, man. And, and to play golf, Mm -hmm. that that was your big thing, right? For a while, like maybe out of high school, was that right out of high school? During high school? That was, that was, so I went from the trailer park to the playground of the rich and famous on a three day drive at 14 years old to go to a prep school in Southern California to play golf. And you want to talk about culture shock? It was wild. Central Kentucky to to Southern California. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. My golf journey was actually really interesting too. It was, uh, it it was one of those things where there's certain things in life where we're just kind of natural at, and that's what golf was like for me. Uh, I picked him up one day and went to play uh, around the golf after church again with my buddy and his dad Used my dad's clubs and they couldn't believe that I'd never played before. They were just like, what do you mean you never played before? I grew up playing ice hockey, baseball, basketball, football, that sort of thing. And it was just a fusion of hockey and baseball to me. It was just something I could do. I said, the ball's just sitting there. Nobody's trying to knock me down. Nobody's trying to throw it past me. All I got to do is hit it over there. I can do that. No problem. And the hockey aspect, you have a little happy Gilmore in the, you know, never never any uh, putting like that, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. I will say during a bad tournament or two, I might be guilty of running into one. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. So I, I got to a level in Kentucky where there wasn't a whole lot of room for growth. And the athletic director at my high school, when I was a freshman in high school, had a buddy out in California that he knew. And he said, Hey man, this is a prep school. This is an opportunity for you to really grow with this. 
you know, you've just won the state championship here at 14 years old. Wow. What are you going to do here? So I did. I packed up my things and shipped out to Southern California to La Quinta, Palm Springs, the playground of the rich and famous. We went from having gun racks in the back of pickup trucks in the high school parking lot to BMWs, Mercedes, Audi, everywhere. And here I come rolling in there, (laughs) little toehead, blonde haired, blue eyed kid with a thick redneck accent. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't fit in. They probably loved you, right? Oh, the first day, I'll never forget. It was this fellow, Augustine Hernandez. We were all dressed out for gym class. And I showed up in the middle of the school year at like five feet, 94 pounds. And all they had left were like double XL gym clothes outfits. So I was rocking these baggy shorts that went halfway down my shins and this shirt that I could have slept in for a sleeping bag. Right. And this guy looks at me and he says, Hey Holmes, where are you from? And I said, Hey man, I'm from Kentucky. Everybody just started laughing at me. He said, he doesn't care where you're from. He wants to know what gang you're in. I said, I don't know nothing about no gangs, but I sure do like to play some basketball. (laughs) At that point, at that point, the guy just figured I was just pure comedy and he was going to be my friend. And we wound up becoming really good friends after that, oddly enough. So did you, were you able to do, you know, the fishing thing It started obviously at a young age and then mm-hmm. you got really into golf. And I know we talked about this a little bit when we were in Wyoming, just hanging out at dinner and stuff, but were, how much fishing were you able to do? Like in, in those, in that transition time while you were in California? So it was vacations for me. Um, my father is Canadian guy. And our whole family is Western Canada. So British Columbia, that area. And every spring break, every summer vacation, uh, we would make a a trip up there and do the, the Stillwater trout fishing up in, up and around Kamloops, this place called Lac Lejeune. That might be one of those spot burns. Sorry guys up there, but that is a gem. And that area is spectacular. And that's where I learned to really really fly fish at a high level. Um, and then as I started traveling on the AJGA circuit with golf, every time we'd be in a mountain state or anywhere near it, my dad was great enough to incorporate a little bit of that into our, into our trip. So I'll never forget thinking to myself, Oh man, I'm playing really well in this tournament. I really need to finish early, <laughs> but I've got a late tea time. <laughs> like I go to the river, but I got this late tea time. What am I going to do? That's you know, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I, I made the sacrifice in fishing to, to further my golf for many, many years and uh, enjoyed a very fulfilling career doing that. Well, where did golf, you want to talk about your college decision? Uh, did you play golf in college? I sure did. I sure did. But you didn't pick a traditional, what we would think of as a golf school, correct? That's why you wanted to. (laughs) I did not, in fact. Um, And I was, I was coming out of high school quite heavily recruited and went on recruiting trips to some of the, you know, the traditional powerhouse schools to Clemson, to Arizona, to Texas, and wound up going to Boise State University. Go Broncos, by the way. Home of the blue Uh, turf, right? The, the blue turf, the Smurf turf. That's right. In fact, I'll tell you a fun story about that. I was, uh, I was also a, a, a quarterback for our intramural football team where in the championship game, we got to play on that blue turf every year. My team would get to the championship game 
and get absolutely wrecked by this <laughs> other team for three years in a row. They beat us by like 60 points when we went undefeated until we saw them every but you year. You got to play on the blue turf. So I mean, you sure did, man. It was <laughs> That's awesome. I had a blast doing it. Um, and I, I chose to go up there for, uh, you know, one of those reasons that some kids in high school choose to, and their parents tell them, Oh, what a mistake. And I have absolutely no regrets for it. I followed my high school sweetheart. Her family had moved there and I got in touch with the coach and I said, Hey, listen, I'm interested in coming to that area. I don't know if you have a spot on the team, but I'd really like to, to talk to you a little bit about it. And he said, why don't you send me over a resume and I'll take a look. I said, okay, guy named Mike Young. We called him Younger. He was also the wrestling coach. And uh, so at the end of this conversation, wrestling, (laughs) yes. And the wrestling team at the time was like number three and four in the nation. They were like pretty good at wrestling. Yeah. 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 yeah, Very good. And they were just really coming into their own in football. So it's really fun time to be there. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) So I'm on the phone with this guy and I'm telling him I'd like to come there and I give him my name and that sort of stuff. And he says, you know, there's another guy with your name that's playing really, really good golf and on the junior circuits. And I was like, no kidding. In the moment, I didn't know he was talking about me. So I sent over this resume of stuff that I did. And within like, this was the year 2000. This was like 1999 that I was getting in touch with this guy. So email was just, you know, we were were on dial-up AOL with the clicks and the beeps and all that fun stuff. So I sent this over via on my dad's fax machine. Nice. Like 30 pages, right? Like tournament win here you know, this finish and this event and this and this and this, but within like 30 seconds of that fax, getting the confirmation, my phone's ringing and it's this guy. And he says, Hey man, you're the guy I was talking about. You're really interested (laughs) here. (laughs) And I said, yes, I am. And so he freed up some scholarship money and got me into the school. And it was a lot of fun. Now I'm just thinking Boise state, let's let's Boise, Idaho, correct? Correct. So there's, there's bound to be some trout water or some, some rivers around this university, like that kind of helped with all this. Correct. Now here's another one of those spot burn moments. Anybody in the Boise area knows about this, but I lived in the jock dorm. It's called Chafee hall from the window of my dorm room. I could get a lure into the Boise river. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And I went up there two days after high school graduation for early practice to get acclimated and get accustomed to everything. I spent far more time that summer walking through the Boise river than I did walking on any of those golf courses. Wow. Yeah. It was a blast. It was awesome. And got a job there in the summertime as a fly fishing guide, doing a lot of anadromous fishing, uh, doing some trout fishing. I was working for the river company out of Stanley, Idaho. And that's where I really learned how to become a fly fishing guide was my summer job while I was in school. That's super cool, man. And if anybody's ever been to central Idaho or Stanley or around the Salmon River, you'll understand why fly fishing becomes an adventure to anyone there. It's a blast. It's beautiful. That's super cool. Hey, so go ahead, go ahead. And you didn't it didn't stop. But you played golf in college mm-hmm. and, and golf golf didn't stop, right? Nope. Uh, so I graduated in 2003. And right after graduation, I turned professional and 
went down back down to Southern California where I had gone to high school and played a couple of the mini tours down there to get ready for Q school and wound up doing it full time for 14 years all over the world. Uh, started here locally, went over to Europe, played over there for 18 months, two seasons over on the European Challenge Tour, spent nine years playing down on the PGA Tour Latin America, six seasons on the McKenzie in Canada, and just about everywhere in between. And this was a good opportunity to fly fish some of the most incredible places in the world. So okay. that's what I was just about to ask you. You know, you're, you're doing the pro golf thing. Obviously, that's taking up an incredible amount of time. Mm-hmm. But you're also in some amazing places. Mm-hmm. So yep. how, how did the two of these things mesh? Your pro golf tour along with this, I'm going to say fly fishing was still kind of a hobby at the time. I mean, you, you, were got, you had got it in college some, but now you're doing oh, professional yeah. golf. I feel like fly fishing is kind of on the side at the moment, but, but you're traveling in some amazing places. So how did oh, that yeah. pan out? Oh, yeah. And now we've gone from that two-piece Fenwick Eagle to the three-piece rod revolution. Were you guys fly fishing during the three-piece fly rod revolution? No, we were not. Oh man, I still have a couple of them. I got a couple of loop gray line series fly rods that I got for college graduation in like 2003. And these were top of the line at the time. Three-piece fly rods. Great rods, impossible to travel with. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as I got into traveling into like that 2005, six, seven era, come the four-piece fly rod revolution, man. Now, ferals are getting better and you can travel with these things. Yeah. So I had one. I had one tucked down in my golf bag. That's awesome. That is great. It was great. You never like showed up at a course with your your rod still in your bag, did you? I've fly fished so many golf course lakes that (laughs) don't have access to. That's awesome. (laughs) You can't even begin to imagine. You really can't. So as a professional golfer, um, you have to kind of chase an endless summer. So in the wintertime, we all gravitate to like, as Americans, we all gravitate to like three, maybe four states, Florida, Texas, Arizona, or California. Now the taxes in California had gotten pretty out of hand. So I chose to do South Florida. There is some golf course pond fishing down there that you can't imagine they grow fish down there on a different level. If you're, (laughs) if you're out there with a woolly bugger and you don't land a five pound bass, you haven't thrown it around that late. Peacock bass down there in Florida too. Yes, we sure do. In fact, the the golf course that I was a member of for many years in the town that I lived in down there is called Weston and Weston Hills country club. This is a planned community built out of the corner of the Everglades. You look down off of the off of a few of the greens down there, and you'll see these peacocks that are massive, wow. just big old head suckers. Yeah, and I caught a bunch of them. Yes, I did. That is and awesome. Enjoyed every bit of it. And the landlocked tarpon down there in yeah. the golf ponds are wild to catch. We would catch uh, little pinfish, little you know pan fish type of things. And we would throw them a big hook through their back and send them out on, on a seven weight, which oh, is, wow. which is, you got no business hooking a tarpon on a seven weight, even if it's mildly juvenile, like this is nine or 10 weight fish. <laughs> past. So, you know, I busted one or two, I busted one or two rods doing that in my I'm day. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So would you say that we're going to talk about 
sort of your post golf career here in a minute, but would you say that golf really allowed you, I know it allowed you to see the world Mm -hmm. during all that time. Did you sort of feel that, Hey, I'm loving this golf thing. I'm playing well, maybe not all the time playing well, you know how golf is up and down, right? Mm -hmm. But it is allowing you to somewhere in your brain. Cause we know how passionate you are now about fishing. Was that always there? Like loving this golf thing, but, I, but I know that, you know, uh, anytime I've not played golf, it's like I'm fishing, right? It kind of seems to be what it was. Correct. Yeah. So it's interesting. You say that I was always for a long time and I enjoyed 14 years of a professional golf career and I loved every minute of it. I promise. And I was able to see the world and I did it in kind of an interesting way. Um, I was what I was at that level of golf, very average. And that was kind of my talent level was very average. And I spent most of my career at kind of that double A, triple A level and enjoyed some success, won 42 times as a professional and and in some incredible places. Um, There were times when the fishing was so much more abundant, a part of it. Uh, like as Americans, most of us, it, it's, at least I didn't realize the fishing opportunity throughout Europe. I, you know, growing up in Kentucky and, and being rather sheltered, I think of Europe as museums and castles and big cities and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's not, not like it's, that. There's that one, you know, place in Kentucky. Versailles, you know, it's the same yeah, Versailles. Europe, right? <laughs> Versailles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you got that right. We got Versailles, they got Versailles. That's exactly there you right. Go, man. That's right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's right. Um, and and it was amazing how much I got to fish over there, and amazing how much better of a fisherman I became traveling over there because you know, those fish are they've been fished too for a lot longer than we've been a country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but some of the species, the marble trout, these things are like a trout met a muskie. They're wild. Oh, wow. They're huge, massive, some of them and super, super feisty when you get one on a hook. So I was going to so, ask you and all that ahead. travel and all that traveling around the world what was your favorite place you got to fish. You know, I call me simple, but my favorite places aren't the most exotic. My favorite places are still right here at home. Really? I love, <laughs> you know, a lot of your listeners are probably from where you guys are from yeah. and maybe can appreciate this. I love coming to your neighborhood and coming out there and fishing. I love fishing GSMP. I love the park. I love the tuck. I love the Nanahala. It's, it's some of my favorite fishing that I do. Floating the talk with my friends is some of my favorite fishing that I do. So I'm a pretty simple guy. I love fishing rural Kentucky as well. Um, I was able to fish this last, uh, this spring um, with a friend of mine that I met through a fly fishing club there, a guy named Ron Cornrump, Kentucky Bronze, you guys know him as. Yeah, yeah he started listening to our pot podcast kind of early on reached out to us on instagram we've kind of messaged back and forth a lot um because he also has a rat like all of us do mm-hmm. and uh i remember you guys posting those uh those shots of catching i think it was some smallies that day right mm-hmm. yeah 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 that that stream that we were fishing was a stream that i i mean i may as well have been baptized in that water 
I've been wading through that water since I was knee high to a cricket. Since I was two years old, I've been walking through that stream and I would go and fish there every single day of my life. That's wouldn't, so cool. Wouldn't miss a beat. That's so neat, man. A guy who has been all around the world fishing some really incredible places. And yet here in Appalachia, I mean, it's still some of your favorite water. That's so Dude, cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. I got some buddies back there. Those guys from KS Outdoors, Landon and Henley. That guy, Shannon Young, those guys are phenomenal to fish with. I love those guys. And just your appreciation of where you all kind of got started, like where you all started and, and the appreciation for this area says a lot, I think, to me and Caleb. And we, we've mentioned this before on our, on our podcast. We do have listeners in this area and we do have listeners now that are listening to us across the country. But we sometimes take our area for granted and here's, you know, a man who's been all over the country, all over the world and he's fished some exotic waters. He's fished salt. He's fished fresh. He's fished ponds on country clubs and, and he's, he's fished everywhere. And he, he spends a lot of his time now, which we're going to talk about after the break in Utah. We're blessed, man. We're blessed to have the water we have right here and to take care of that water the way we've tried to start doing recently and, and really giving back to make sure that water is, is, is precious, um, maintained. This says a lot. And it just makes me even, it makes me even appreciate more the fact that I have that water 30 minutes down the road. Yeah. And when Cameron's saying how much that means to him. So, uh, I appreciate you saying that, man, we, we're going to take a quick break and, uh, we're going to come back and talk about, you know, an unexpected adventure in Cameron's life. The one that kind of, kind of flipped him upside down and how he now finds himself in the great state of Utah uh fishing probably as many days as maybe sometimes we wish we were <laughs> so we're gonna talk about that when we come back to the break guys we'll be right back hey guys this episode of dads on the fly is brought to you by anadromous fly company if you are a beginning fly tire or an experienced fly tire you need to check out anadromous fly company at aflyco.com the sharpest decision you'll make in fly tying. Caleb, just tell everybody about how awesome these tools are. I got to tell you, Nadrimus Fly Company has changed my fly tying game. I didn't realize how important a sharp pair of scissors was when it came to fly tying until the guys at AFlyCo sent us a pair of their four-inch razor scissors, and they have changed the way I tie. And so now I'm going to them for all of my fly tying tool needs so check them out aflyco.com again an adramus fly company your sharpest decision in fly tying tools and as a beginning fly tire i didn't even know how cool these scissors were and yet they just make my fly tying which is probably not even really good but the flies are starting to catch fish now and i am using all of their tools make sure when you check out you use dad's 20 at checkout for 20 percent off of your entire purchase. That's a really great deal. And we are back with Mr. Cameron Booth of Tailwalker Adventure Company. And Cameron, you've been telling us some amazing stories about your, really your life journey from getting into fishing at an early age, becoming a golf pro, working in professional golf and having fly fishing on the side. But you, now you're... You can't leave out that story, the fact that he is from Kentucky. He is from Kentucky. That's a big deal to me. Like Josh was a big UK guy there because we do have that Kentucky connection. So that kind of hit, you know, immediately we met Cameron in Wyoming. That was like an immediate first 
Yeah, he's from Joshua still, Joshua still bleeds blue. Yeah, there I mean, you go. Big blue. That's, that's, right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. So, anyway, keep going. With all of that, though, uh, you transitioned from, from a golf career into a fishing career, and you had a little uh, craziness along the way in that. So tell us a little bit about your story from that transition, what that was like, why you got out of golf and, and then back into fishing and, and where you're at now. Sure. So I guess I should probably start towards the end of my golf career, which was the 2018-2019 season. Um, I had come off of one of the best seasons of my life, one of the best seasons of my career in 2017, had really enjoyed a lot of success, got into the Florida Cup, which is a big deal, um, and a couple of other, you know, mini tour big deal type of things. And I started, I started to struggle just a little bit. And couldn't quite figure out what was going wrong. It was just the consistency that I'd had my entire career was starting to go. Some of the distance wasn't there anymore. And I started to get hurt, started to get injured quite a bit. Um, Suffered a wrist injury and then an elbow injury. And took some time off for those to heal. Went through a surgery for those. Came back, hurt them right away again. Then it was a chest injury where I tore one of my upper abdominal muscles, which is extremely painful in case anybody <laughs> has ever I gone. I can only imagine. Yeah, that's rough, especially as a golfer. Um, and, and had gone through, you know, two or three operations, trying to figure out what was going on, trying to get myself right. And just couldn't get right. Finally, um, an x-ray of my abdomen uh, revealed something that was very concerning to, to the specialist, to the doctors that were looking at it. They sent me down for an MRI the next day and found some pretty advanced uh, tumors, cancer, it turned out to be. Um, And it took them a little bit to diagnose it. It turned out to be a very rare form of cancer called angiosarcoma. And it was at that point what they would consider stage four. It had spread from basically my psoas tendon into my pelvis, into my hips, into my lower back, and gotten pretty bad. Um, and when they first diagnosed it, I'll never forget my first uh, meeting with my specialist oncologist. And she kind of explained to me the extent of things and said, this isn't something we typically would try and treat. We're going to try and do our best to make you as comfortable as possible. But as far as treatment is concerned, we're well beyond the scope of surgery, well beyond radiation. Um, and chemo is likely just going to make you far worse. Yeah. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. You're talking to the wrong guy about all that. That's not what I'm in here today for. So I understand that things could get a lot worse, but, you know, I'm, I'm here to fight. I'm here to figure this out and, and figure out how we can get better. And uh, she said that she respected that and that she would go ahead and, and go through with some of the treatment, but likely things were going to get a lot worse before they were going to get a lot better. And she wasn't wrong. Yeah. Um, the first couple months were pretty, pretty bad. They were pretty rough. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a very, very strong support system. Some family came out from Kentucky to stay with me in Utah, which is where I was living at the time, Park City. Um, and the people who had opened their home to me in Park City opened their home to my family as well. They <laughs> have a great big house up in upper deer Valley and we're leaving for the winter, going down to Arizona to play golf and said, Hey, why don't you guys stay here while you're going through treatment? 
And it was, it was really a godsend to have that because otherwise I don't know what we would have done. Um, so thank you to the Richards family, Wes and Terry and their family. Thank you guys. If you hear this. Um, so they had done this genetic marker testing because I have a daughter as well. I'm a dad as well. And we wanted to make sure that this wasn't something that she needed to know about right away. Um, and during that test, they found a specific type of mutation. It's called the ROS1 mutation, ROS-1 mutation. And that's what apparently was causing this cancer. And typically, they wouldn't have thought of that with this type of cancer because it's typically only found in a lung cancer, which wasn't in my lungs, still hasn't been anywhere near my lungs. So they never expected that to be the reason. But they have a targeted chemotherapy, an oral type that has been very effective of that on that type of mutation. And they didn't know how it would work on mine because it wasn't the stereotypical lung cancer, but we gave it a try anyway. And you want to talk about miracle. I went from laying on a couch, (laughs) peeing in a jar, not being able to do anything to back up on my feet and calling my oncologist, telling her, Hey, I want to start physical therapy to get my life back. And this lady's looking at me saying, what do you mean (laughs) physical therapy? What are you trying to work out your fingers or your wrist? You trying to get the remote control off the coffee table? What's going on here? And I said, Oh no, I'm getting my life back. And, uh, sure enough, within a month, I was back up on my feet, running around, ready to be walking through a river again. So thank you to the makers of a drug called Entrectinib. Rosaltrex. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but good job, you guys. Two thumbs up on that one. That's, and that's so incredible, man. So you went from literally not being able to really move much, right? I mean, just oh, no. really laid out. Yeah. And and really. doctors, some doctors even thought maybe you weren't looking at what you're doing now. And so to sit there, I mean, I can obviously not speak to this. And now what does that do for your appreciation of just being on the water for a day, man? I mean, obviously it's huge, right? You can't imagine. It's, it's an entire new life. Hmm. It's a whole new existence after that. The appreciation for every day, even the hard ones is unwavering. And so throughout this journey, when you're going through all this, you, um, you mentioned your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lily, L- Lily, yeah, and and you, uh, you kind of dove into that as well, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's a super interesting story. Lily is now 14 years old. She's darling. She was just with me in Kentucky when I was back there this spring, um, and has is just about to head back to her mother in Texas from my mother, her grandmother, she's been staying with her for a while and really bonding and getting to have a good time and know each other, that sort of thing. But I didn't meet Lily until she was 12. I didn't know about Lily or meet her. I was one of those stories where, you know, people ask you, you got any kids? Not that I know of. Ha ha ha. You don't know how true that is until all of a sudden one day somebody says, Hey, I'm not sure, but I think you might be the father of my daughter. And that was my case. 
And uh, her mother reached out to me on social media. It was someone that I had met at a golf tournament. And um, it, you know, she didn't, she didn't know me from Adam. It wasn't like she was trying to hide her from me, anything like that. It was just, Hey, I'm looking for this guy. She starts the young Lily starts asking about her father and they tracked me down. And as soon as, as soon as she asked, maybe if I remembered this encounter, she sent a couple of photos and a couple of results from this ancestry DNA kit that they had done. Well, the photos you could, you, you had a pretty good idea, but the ancestry DNA that she had done, she sent on accident, like the third, fourth and fifth cousins, like the distant relatives. So I didn't recognize any of these. <laughs> I respond to this girl like, Hey, you know, maybe don't recognize any of these names. Let me ask around. So I sent them to my mother and let her know what was going on, <laughs> which is a bit awkward under the circumstances, yeah, by the sure. way. <laughs> but my mom instantly was like, oh yeah, that's my cousin. That's your aunt's cousin. That's this person. That's that person. Wow. So <laughs> she knew him right away, right? In rural Kentucky, our family trees can either be very tall and thin or kind of more like a bonsai tree. So when I responded and I said, oh, it turns out likely we may have some connection here. Um, and the the family her new family is very nice she's remarried they have two new children they have a beautiful family and we're very clear that they didn't want anything from me they just wanted this young girl to know where she came from and be fulfilled and i said whoa 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 well, again you're talking to the wrong guy here yeah i love my people yeah right <laughs> like this is gonna have to be a thing this is gonna have to be a situation so i'll never forget the first time after we did the DNA test and it was confirmed and all this and that, that I got to, to meet her and speak to her and, and do all that. I was so nervous. I it can was only bad. imagine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I went and got a haircut the whole nine yards and got the worst haircut of my life and was <laughs> so self-conscious of this thing. <laughs> like I had gotten all sorts of new outfits to go and look really nice. And I wanted to be, you know, impressive. Yeah. Right. And uh, sure enough, what a backfire that was, but it was, it was still great. She was still great. And, and now you and Lily, mm -hmm. right? uh, you have a, you talk to her often, right? Yes. Oh yes. We keep in touch every week. We talk three or four times. Uh, we get together every year. She's come out to Utah to visit. She's come back to Kentucky. Um, her family was living in Hawaii for a while and have just recently moved to Texas. So I'm excited to have them on the mainland where I can swing through there and that sort of thing on my travels back and forth across the country, which as you guys know, are you common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm super excited about it. We have developed a very strong relationship and I'm just crazy about her. And, and that's what I wanted her to know at the time was doesn't matter that I haven't known you this, this far in your life. You know, it doesn't matter that you don't know anything about me, what you need to know is that you're one of us and we love you and wow. it doesn't matter what else is going on. That's a great, that's a great way to look at it. And I think what we want to make sure that everybody understands is how, I don't know if we want to bring this up now, but it kind of just, I don't know. It kind of hit me. You've been through a lot. Um, and you're Caleb said this earlier, kind of off. We weren't recording, but 
for me, I take resilience. And you've even said that. Talk about how important that is to you, your positivity on life and, and just your resilient attitude of, you know, and, and, and doing that for our children, being, being dads on the fly and say, hey, things are going to be hard in life. Obviously, I've not been through anything like cancer like you have, but how that sure. got you through that. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I think that all comes from the golf thing, right? Like golf is a career that is just incredibly hard as far as an athlete is concerned. It's one against 143. You don't have teammates. You don't have anything like that. And it is the least fair thing you're ever going to do in this world, right? So you learn to take the bad breaks with the good and you learn to really appreciate those wins. You learn to, to, really enjoy it when you have that success and you get that good break out there. Um, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Um, and then going through the diagnosis that I went through and the recovery that I've gone through the appreciation for every moment of every day. If you, if you don't have that, you know, I can tell you times when my life was great and I was taking things for granted that I wish I would have appreciated a little more, but now I understand that that's, you know, that's everything, right? And that's kind of transitioned now into a little bit of what you're doing. From my understanding of Tailwalker Adventure Company, I mean, you really do set out to show folks, you know, whether it's fishing, whether it's golf, whatever, like soak up the adventure. I mean, this is, that's, that's a part of this whole, I, we got that from our experience with fly fishing with you out West when we were in Wyoming together. Just, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes and we were out there with you. The fishing wasn't great. You know, we, we laugh about it being a white fish palooza. The first evening together, let's just be real. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, we, yeah. You guys. Yeah, look at it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. us out from the shore. Like, maybe we do maybe a little bit know what we're doing because oh, yeah. we were catching some fish. We, we didn't realize that Tom, he's one of our people, you know, rednecks from the Appalachian Mountains. What did you guys think when I roll over to the bank trying to get my waiters and everything set up for myself and my partner that was out there with me? And I'm yelling, hey, why don't you rednecks leave a few of them in there for me? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we were laughing. Yeah, that's right. It we was, were cutting up about that. Cool scene, man. And, and we, uh, we actually fished with Cameron the rest of that evening um, yeah. and, and rode back with, with him and Eric and, uh, uh, and, and his dog, which we have to bring Daisy, up, right? Daisy's, oh, here. Got, I'm, Daisy's here. here. I've been hearing a little, uh, a little collar jingle. Some, yeah, Daisy's a, so, if you go out on a trip with Cameron, you're going to, you're going to get to experience Daisy for sure, which is awesome. Oh, that's right. Daisy actually yesterday saved the day and I'll send you guys a photo of this. It's actually on Instagram right now. Daisy kept us from stepping right on a big old rattlesnake. Oh, what a good picture today. Yeah. 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 Big mean looking sucker too. <laughs> like, that's awesome. She was going nuts and I'm yelling at her. What are you like? Hey, take it easy, Daisy. Stop barking. My favorite. She looks looks My dead at this thing. My favorite Daisy story from that week was uh, playing fetch with her and her bringing back a stick and catching Brian right in the shin. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> that she's notorious for that. Love it. So, You're the, the hollow thud of that. Yeah. <laughs> the whole camp. So, uh, but going back to kind of the the, the company you're setting up, Tailwalker Adventures, I, mean, I feel like that's part of your story is you you've been through all of this you're still fighting cancer. I mean, it's, you were just telling us before we started recording, you've had a rough couple of days with some new treatments and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Every day I'm on chemo. 
Yeah. So you've set up this, what's kind of the story? What's kind of the reason behind this new venture? So Tailwalkers Adventure Company um, was born out of the country club that I teach golf at and caddy at and spend my time at out here. It's called Glenwild Golf Club. Um, and it's a very, very special place, man. This is the, the reason that I'm in Utah is actually a pretty interesting story in and of itself. Um, I was brought out here by Michael Jordan uh, nine years ago. Yes, the Michael Jordan. Uh, I'd gotten the, to know him pretty goat, well. The real goat. Yeah. Yep. And, and I was never a fan until I got to know him. If you know him, I promise you he's the GOAT. And not just because of what he did on the basketball court. But so the question is, can Cameron get Michael Jordan on the Dads on the Fly podcast? <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're not gonna do I'm that. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so one year I was, I was saying to Mike, hey, I'm thinking about traveling this summer. I don't really want to stick around the normal places on the East Coast that I've been going to. You got any suggestions? He said, come on, dog. You go where I go. And he brought me out to Park City, Utah, to Glenwild. Now, I didn't know at the time that he only spent a week out here all summer for one tournament, but, <laughs> but it's, it was still great. The people were amazing. The golf course is great. And the fish were biting. And I was like, you know what? I think I found a home here. Yeah. Um, and, and what really makes it special is the country club, Glenwild, and the family that I have created there. Uh, they've treated me like, like a son the whole time. And I really appreciate that. So let's uh, talk about Utah. We, we, we finished, we fished Wyoming. We can fish a lot of Utah. We hope to eventually come back and do that. But we talked about, you know, you started this adventure company, Scott service. So mm -hmm. started out of the country club. Yep. Started right out of fishing in Utah, man. There's, I know there's some rivers you hit all the time. You don't have to give spots, but just tell people, you know, what kind of fish you're doing. Cause let me just tell everybody who's listening. Cameron is very technical. And I think that comes from maybe golf, right? Because golf mm -hmm. is, that's why I can't play golf. Cause it's like all these different, this degree and that degree and this yardage. And it's gotta be, so I feel like fishing with Cameron, you've, he's transitioned that golf mind into, he's very technical when you fish with him, he knows all this stuff. And so what rivers are you doing, man? And what techniques are you loving out there in Utah? And then I know you come back here and fish with us here in the mountains, but what, what is just your, yeah, so, what does that make that, that connection though between golf and fly fishing? How does that work? So it's it's actually quite interesting. Um, here in in Park City, our local tailwaters are the Provo and the Weber River systems, um, and they're year round fisheries. They're both fantastic, chock full of big old brown trout, big old wild brown trout. Haven't been stocked since before I was born, um, and they are very technical. They are. They're highly pressured systems. Now, there's a lot of fish in there. Uh, I think there was 8,000 fish per mile on the last survey on the Provo system and something like 6,000 on the Weber system. But those fish get plunked at all day, every day, including in the winters. Like they are, they see a lot of people throwing flies at them. So you have to be pretty on your game and know what you're doing here to, to be successful. Um, and that has been really interesting. Now, the other, the other really fun part of that system here is that you see just about every type of fly fishing you could want to do. You see incredible caddis hatches. You see big old green drake hatch come through the Provo system that's just looks like a hot tub when that's going on. This water's boiling. Um, you've got some really fun year-round sow bug and midge and that, that, that tailwater type of hatch or, you know, terrestrial and 
and year round kind of bug thing going on. But if you don't have your rig right, you may as well, you know, you may as well be playing the lottery in a state that doesn't have it, right? You got no chance. If you're, if you're trying to run a tapered leader down to a nymph with some weights, a couple of feet above it, you might snag one, but <laughs> you ain't going to eat it, I promise. So that's probably where some of that technical fishing comes in. Um, and, you know, in the last, through the Euro revolution, um, you know, we've, we've, my company has really embraced that. We've really enjoyed teaching that, that sort of thing, uh, learning and teaching that really. Um, so it's, it's a fun system here. And then with, with my company, we do a lot of stuff off the beaten path. We do a lot of the high Alpine lakes that we have here that people don't know about. We do a lot of the small stream stuff that people don't know about. Um, so like I was saying, my company was born out of the country club. Um, just me teaching other guys there how to fly fish. My friends, guys that I wanted to, to spend time with out on the river. It started with my best friend and my caddy, uh, a guy named Jason Kernot, um, who lost his battle with addiction a couple of years ago. Um, started with me teaching him how to fish. And then a couple of the other guys saw how much fun we were having and said, I want to learn how to do this. Then one guy said, man, you <laughs> listen, you need to do this. So we started telling the membership, Hey, you guys got to go fishing with Booth. He'll, he'll show you what's going on. So next thing you know, some guy's trying to hire me and I said, wait a minute, if we're going to do this, we need to do this the right way. And, uh, so I formed the company, um, got some insurance, got a license, said, okay, let's start doing it. Within a year, it got to the point where I couldn't handle it on my own. I couldn't, I couldn't serve all the people that wanted to be doing it. So it's, it's grown into what it is now. We now have four great guides out here. Um, some really incredible guys. We're doing a guide school out here now teaching other guys how to become fly fishing guides. And it's a lot of fun. I think though, what has made you successful, man, is just in my opinion, your resilience, your attitude, I'm sure you're hiring people who are like you or your guides are like you. They're going to make it a fun day on the water. If you check out Cameron on Instagram, if you watch some of his shorts, his reels, it's, it's fun. Uh, you know, Daisy's up there on the front of that river rat and he's, he's <laughs> rowing through that water and they're catching fish and they're doing cool things. And his fishing reports are awesome on the Provo and, the different things he does and and through all that just talk for a second because you know we have a lot of people that listen to the pod that maybe are weekend warriors like us not professionals you learned all those techniques and, and you're great at them we saw that in in wyoming but you had to to buy your time right i mean you you spent time learning those techniques like oh, sure maybe this works today maybe it doesn't right oh sure Oh yeah. There was a lot of time out on the water. You know, I went from a, a career where I spent eight, 10 hours a day on a golf course, practicing, grinding uh, to, to not having that anymore. And what are you going to do to fill your time? There's nothing better than getting your butt out there on the water, getting out there in nature and, and saying, Hey, you know, I know I'm talking to a teacher and a preacher right now. And, uh, I am, I am what you would call spiritual and faithful. And I am never closer to our creator than when I'm standing out in the middle of the water. Yeah. So whether I was successful on that day or not, I was still learning and enjoying and, and getting something out of my day. So I was going to ask you, do you feel like with your battle 
with cancer. We've talked a lot about that. I know when we were together out in Wyoming, we talked about this. I think part of the reason you've been able to be so successful or part of the reason cancer hasn't, you know, affected you the way it does a lot of people is because of your attitude, uh, because of the, that resilient attitude, you know, that fight that, Hey, this is, this is not going to beat me. We're going to go at it. Do you feel like fishing and being outside has, has been a helpful thing for you when it comes to your fight against cancer? No question. No doubt about it. Um, first of all, there is some healing power in water, right? I couldn't like, agree more. There is something that just cleanses you when you're out there. Secondly, <laughs> this last you know couple of years that I've gotten extra, um, I have I have lived my best life. Yeah, I have loved my days. I have enjoyed my time. And although they might not all be easy, I have something to look forward to every day. You know, getting to share this with other people. I had the, over the weekend a couple of trips with a couple of young kids. Got to show them success fishing for the first time. You see on my Instagram, there's this little boy, Riker, six-year-old kid who's holding up about a 19-inch brown trout. So great. <laughs> and this kid is just like, oh my God, my arm hurts. You know, <laughs> this, this is awesome. How much longer do we have on this trip? We're like five hours into the trip at this point. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, we're like halfway down there. Yes. You know? <laughs> so to have a kid that young, get that excited about a 10 hour day out on the water is like, you know, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. And watch his mom and his dad and sharing. I learned to do this with my grandfather and my father. And I still, those, those are my best memories with them. So to be able to, to, to bring that joy to a father and son or a family, it is the most fulfilling thing you can imagine. And so you're willing to get up and you're willing to fight. You're willing to go through those hard days because you know, the next one could be just magic. That's so cool, man. Well, all right. Last thing before we kind of wrap this podcast up, we're excited about something. You just started the last week, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about this. We're <laughs> pumped about it, man. Before you, before you tell the story, I will say my, my wife heard about it and, and she started, started making a little fun of me. I'm not going to lie. She, you know, there's this, uh, this, this book called the sisterhood of the traveling pants, you know, like so, and she was like, what are y'all doing? So tell everybody what what's going on. So, so, okay. First of all, do not let me take full credit for this. This was not my idea. I heard about this. This another guy suggested it. And I thought, what a cool idea. What it is, is a traveling fly box. Um, the, the people that we spent time with out in Wyoming, and you've had one of the others, I think on your podcast already and may yeah. get to enjoy some of the others. This was a pretty special group of people all brought together by Brian Walker and his team at river rat. Right. Yeah. Um, and these guys, I just felt this connection with everyone that was out there. That was the best part of those two days we spent. Those two blustery Wyoming <laughs> days we spent catching whitefish after whitefish. <laughs> um, we're, we're so much fun because of the people we were surrounded by. Yeah. Uh, you guys, Fish Hands Frankie, uh, my buddy Eric that was out there with us, uh, Joseph Evans from Ida Fly. Um, Matt, Mattkin up there cooking raw grits and eggs. Like those guys are just the coolest dudes, and man. Cooper, Friend. Cooper, yep. buddy Cooper. Yeah. And his Cooper is yeah. the greatest, right? <laughs> this dog, what a cool little dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I thought to myself, 
a number of us have this social media presence or YouTube presence or podcast like you guys have. Uh, Joe Evans up at IdaFly has got a ton of stuff going on. He's really doing some amazing stuff. I'm so impressed by that guy. Um, it, it, you know, I thought there's, here's our opportunity to start this, this traveling fly box. So what I thought would be fun is let me make a cup, build a couple of flies. I'll tie a couple up. And I'm not a fly tire. First of all, I'm a guide fly tire. I'm a fishing guide. Don't have a ton of time to do it. I whip out midges, sow bugs, Pat's rubber legs, you know, the, the basics. I tied zero dry flies, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my stuff is super basic, right? So I thought, here we go. Let's get this started. And uh, the first person I've sent it to is old fish hands, Frankie. I tied a couple up, sent him to fish hands, Frankie, and uh, he's to tie a couple up. He's to, first of all, his challenge is to catch fish on there, mm -hmm. post some pictures, make a video, whatever we do, tie a couple more up, make a video of that. He's going to send it to you guys. You guys are next on the list. So, so tell, really, us our, tell my, us our rules here. Here's my worry about oh, this gosh. whole deal, right? So what are the chances of the way I fish those flies lasting for, for somebody else? Cause I'm worried either a, they're going to get hung on some log somewhere and break off, or I'm going to throw up in a tree and I'm going to be up in the great smoky Madison's national park. That, you know, that is trying okay. to climb that. Just that's Cameron's fly. It has to travel. <laughs> <laughs> that's the flies are okay. Right? Like the, the challenge is you got to catch a, a fish on one of the flies tied before you. doesn't matter which one. I don't care which one. Frankie's got two basic guide flies. I sent him a Pat's rubber legs and a thread Frenchie. And after fishing one of his local streams with him on my way across the country, the last time I know he's going to catch fish on those flies yeah, for sure. Go. No problem. So he's going to catch a fish on one of those. Then he's going to tie up a couple. Now you guys hopefully will have at least four. Maybe yeah. he'll lose one. That's, that happens, right? You guys got to catch a fish on one of those four. You got to post some pictures on it. You got to tie a couple up for the next guys. The next guys are in your area. I want you to give up to Landon Henley. You know who Landon is? Yeah, yeah I'll, is. I'll, hand, I'll hand deliver those. That's perfect. That's perfect. Then Landon's got to catch them on something that's been tied before. And he's going to send them off to our boy, Kentucky Bronze. So now that being said, old Ron up there, Kentucky Bronze is a smallmouth fisherman. If yeah. anybody can tie, Caleb will have to tie. Oh, snap. Caleb will tie <laughs> a, a couple of uh, some. Well, we could tie one of those. Uh, we can what tie was that thing you tied with uh, Howie the other day? Yeah, we can tie a couple of those little um, crystal minnows or something. We'll figure something yeah, out. We'll, yeah, he'll work it out. Don't worry. I just feel like if this goes on for long, we're going to have to maybe create it its own page. I mean, we're just going to have to get people on this, right? Oh yes, oh yes. Now, now I have Tailwalkers Adventure Company, right? And I have dubbed this Tailwalkers Adventure Societies Flybox. Love it. Love it. We are a group of like-minded people who share values, who love the outdoors, who love adventure, who love what we're doing, truly do, and love sharing it with other people. And the, the, the group that I have committed to doing this is quite impressive. I, I have Lance Egan of Team That's USA so, on board. I, man, I, now, now tying these flies, the fact that you go send Lance Egan, I don't feel good about this right? anymore. I've got, I've got going to be giving Cameron requests. Hey, can we get the traveling fly box? We're wanting to check it out, right? Yeah. And so we, we've got Vita Trucha down in New Mexico oh, gonna wow. be on board with us. We've got a lot of really cool people. Joe up in Idaho. Can't wait to get a hold of it. He's pumped about it. Um, I mean, there's there's just a ton of people around the country that have, have gotten on board with this. And this we're is gonna just want it. 
We're going to want it back after, after it goes around. That's exactly right. This is just the first series. This is That's just so cool. the first series of it because I guarantee you, as people see this, as, as your followers go over and see the guys from Chaos Outdoors and come over to my channel and go to Fish Hands Frankie's channel, everybody's followers are going to kind of become this entire community. And this is, like I said, this is just generation one. We're going to do this continually going forward right what, what a cool idea i love, I love it man. it's it's awesome we appreciate you thinking about us to even include us in it can't say enough about how awesome it was to hang out with you yes on the river some for sure also at dinner even in the hotel just just chilling and learning about your life and glad we got to tell you know our our listeners our supporters about your story before we close the episode we want to make sure we remind everybody where can we find out about you? I know you're, you're active on Instagram, but I also want to th- I want you to be able to throw out your website and uh, best way to find out about you. Yeah, sure. And there's one other thing I want to say to your listeners before we're done as well. Um, but we'll start with the website. The website is tailwalkersadventureco.com. Um, and that's tailwalkers, plural. There's a meaning behind that, right? It's not just tailwalkers, the fish jumping, right? Uh, a tailwalker is, is, he's the guide of every adventure you go on. He's the guy that makes sure, or she's the person that makes sure that everybody gets to where you're going safely. So that's, that's what a tailwalker is. Right. And I, I think of all of us that way, all of the people that we know together, that sort of thing. Um, so that's tailwalkers adventure co that's who we are on Instagram on Facebook. It's tailwalkers adventure company, uh, TikTok, We've got that. We've got all of those YouTube tailwalkers adventure co as well. So you can find us there and we are a guide service. That's what we do for a big part of what we do, but we are a guide service. That's not exactly traditional. Um, We really want to share this vision with everybody. And we really want to let people like our servicemen know that we appreciate them. Please give us a call, reach out to us. If you're any type of first responder serviceman, any sort of thing like that. When you look at the website, you know, fly fishing guided trip can be expensive. Just give us a call. Okay. Uh, if you're a, a single parent with a child that wants to get into this sort of thing, just give us a call. Don't worry about those prices that you see. Give us a call because we want to take you guys out and show you a good time. That's incredible, man. Well, Cameron, this has been awesome. We cannot thank you enough for your time tonight. I mean, you were sharing with us, you've had a rough couple of days because of some treatment changes and everything. And you saw fit to take some time to hang out with, as you said, two rednecks from North Carolina. So, uh, <laughs> we appreciate that. And, um, man, just thank you. Can't thank you enough. Hey, well, before, we, before we close, we know we're going to get on the water with Cameron again, cause he, he travels the country yeah. pretty much. So if you're in the Utah area, if you find the Salt Lake, just call him. It's that where he is, is not even that far from Salt Lake airport. We rode right by it. Oh, 20 minutes. Uh, so if you, if you find Salt Lake, give Cameron a call, let him take you fishing. And then for the rest of us, we're going to be fishing with him probably in the spring or next fall when he makes his, his trip back and forth, you know, but thank you for just what you said about being a resilient man, positivity. Just want to make sure our listeners appreciate that about how important it is to just stay positive when you're fighting through what you're fighting through uh, and learning along the way, you know, he, he learned with conventional tackle, like a lot of us, then he got that fly rod and just the, the skills that he now has and the technical, I mean, you can see some videos like the, the recent 
fish hands Frankie video with him out there helping Frank with the with the Euro rod doing that. It was a cool video. I, ch- I checked it out. My boy crushed it, dude. Yeah, he, he was catching some fish, man. <laughs> he and, killed uh, it. And that's what's so cool. I want to just go back to one thing you said that just, and I think we'll close with this. You talked about how with golf, you're going to have those days where it's just like, man, I can't hit that shot, right? And on the water, you're going to have those days kind of like we did when we were with you uh, in Wyoming. And that's what makes that one fish or that one experience that much more special. Does that make sense? That's right. You can't control everything that's going on out there. You're going to have to adapt and figure it out the best you can. And, and even on the times when it's not going your way, figure out how to enjoy it. Enjoy the process. That's it, man. That is it. Well, Cameron, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for hanging out with the dads on the fly. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Make sure to go check Cameron Booth out, Tail Walker's Adventure Company. And uh, Cameron, thanks, man. Thank you, guys. I very much enjoyed it. Enjoy Utah for the next uh, couple months, my man. All right. Can't wait and, to see uh, you. And, man, we're, uh, we're definitely we're praying for you, man, and we're rooting for you with your battle as well. So. Thank you very much. I'm still fighting. Yeah, man. Keep it up. <laughs> Thanks, Keep guys. Fighting. Wow, Josh, what an awesome interview with Mr. Cameron Booth from Tailwalkers Adventure Co. Love his story. Love what he's trying to do through fishing. And I love the fact that he talked about just like the healing power of the water because I know it's been so true for me. Just being able to get outside, being able to get in the river has definitely been something that has helped me grow not only as an angler, but, but as a person. Man, Cameron's fighting cancer every day, and he's taking these chemo pills, and even tonight, he was, you know, a little under the weather with what he's going through. He tough, tough through it for us, and he does this every day for his clients, whether on the golf course or in the river, and he just says that, that resilience, man, and that's that was our kind of dad tip of the week, just be resilient when things seem like they're hard. We did an episode recently on doing hard things, staying true to what you know is good for you. And for us, it's you know our faith and our family, and we talk about it all the time. So it was – I love that guy, man. I do too, man. Such a great guy and really excited for what he's doing. So make sure – check him out. Follow him on Instagram, Tailwalkers of Digital Go. Check him out on YouTube, online. Go find him, sharing some great content. Go check him out. So, Joshua, we're excited about the future. We're also excited about some things that have taken place in the past. Last week, we had an amazing interview with Davidson River Outfitters. If you are local in Western North Carolina, make sure to check them out. Davidson River Outfitters, they're in Brevard, North Carolina. If you go see them this month, mention Dads on the Fly. They're going to give you a 10% discount on what you you buy in the store. Pick up a pack, pick up a hat, pick up a rod from Davidson River Outfitters during the month of June, you get 10% off? I mean, that's a sweet deal. Can't beat it. So make sure, go call them in the store, go check them out. Those guys are amazing. We're excited for the community that we're continuing to grow in here in Western North Carolina and in fly fishing all across North America. This has been so, so great. Just want to let everybody know we got some exciting episodes planned. Joshua is on summer vacation as you are listening to this because this episode drops on the first day of a summer vacation. So the possibilities of talking to him via Instagram for the next month are wide open. We are still looking for some uh, Q&As. We're thinking about doing that episode at some time during the near future. We got a family vacation planned, which I think the River Rat is going to make a trip on that family vacation for the first time. Uh, we're floating 
our local waters pretty much once a week now. Uh, hey, you know what, man? If you're in the area, if you come to Asheville, hit us up. We might just throw you on the rat for a day. You never know. It might work out. So I can't say enough about how cool this podcast has been for you and I to meet people like Cameron. Uh, be on the lookout, folks, for some cool things coming. We said we were going to do our very best to launch some things at our uh, kind of one-year anniversary. We're going to see if that's going to work. We're, we're working on it hard. The summer starts today, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, you're on the summer. My wife jokes now that you call me way more than she does, and uh, we laugh a lot about that because now you've got time, and we're throwing some more time into this podcast and some more resources. So we're excited, and we love hearing from you. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that. Best way to do that is to share this episode with a buddy. Let somebody know uh, if this was interesting, if you found it entertaining, share it with someone. Uh, leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. Check out the website, Dad's on the Fly. Com. And Father's Day is less than, what is that? It's two like weeks 12 away. days away? Two weeks away? Two weeks away from so the day we're recording nothing this. Nothing is better for a father than a Dad's on the Fly shirt. Yes. Yeah, so, or a Dad's on the Fly sticker. So, dads that are listening to this, go to the website, go to our Instagram, find one of our posts with a t-shirt, take a screenshot, send it to your wife and say, hey, hit these guys up. I want this shirt for Father's Day. What better Father's Day gift than a Dad's on the Fly t-shirt? Yeah, I'm so excited to fish this summer. We have some adventures planned. We have some cool stuff we want to tell her about. We have, I hope we're going to make this happen sometime in July. We're working on this, on this, making it work. So we, we don't want to reveal it, reveal it yet, but it won't be long. We'll be a year into this thing. I can't believe people are still listening besides mom so uh it's it's super cool man love it man well thank you everyone for checking out episode 42 of the dads on the fly podcast and until next time tight lines